Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. everybody, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm so excited today to have two really great authors on. We've got Jeff Wilson and Brian Andrews, and they have a slew of books between them. And I really like these guys because of their military background. They're smart guys, they're husbands, they're fathers, they're kind of the whole package, everything we look for in our shows. And we're going to talk to them both personally and professionally, because I'm really interested always in partnerships. You know, you guys are able to write together, and that's not an easy gig. And you guys have produced a lot of work together. So we're going to talk about that later in the show. But before we do, I want to introduce both of you and have you guys talk a little bit about yourself. We're going to go to Brian Andrews first. Brian, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on, Sandra, and we're really excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So give me a little rundown. Let our, let our listeners get to know you. Who are you? What do you do? What do you stand for? Sure. I mean, I think you did a great job sort of introducing me, but I'll just fill in a few of the gaps. Um, like you said, I'm a U.S. Navy veteran. I served on um, a fast attack nuclear submarine in the Pacific. So I was an officer on uh, uh, the USS Louisville. And then after my tour in uh, the Navy, I went to business school. Um, you and I were talking about that even before uh, we went on air about uh, Cornell, because you're from upstate New York, I think. Originally. I am. Yeah, so you know about snow. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, so I went to Cornell, and I got a business degree, and, and after that did some entrepreneurial things, but always in the background, I um, was always interested in writing and storytelling, and um, um, you know, while I was starting my family and, and uh, raising my kids, I was always, you know, sort of as a personal interest, um, uh, storytelling, working on novels and short stories. And I joined an organization called the International Thriller Writers. And it's, it's just a great organization um, started by authors, designed to support authors and help authors really from sort of just the very beginning idea of I, ha I want to tell a story what do I do next to okay now I'm a professional author how do I you know take my career to the next level so every step of the process is is sort of covered at this organization and, and that's where I met Jeff so I met Jeff at a conference in New York City um, I think Jeff was it back in 2012 2011 something like that 11 or 12 yeah maybe 12 yeah, so I met Jeff there after I had published my first book. We were, Jeff and I are both debut authors at ITW, and um, I think it's probably a good point to hand it off to Jeff and I'll just sort of explain how we got working together from there. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Sure, Jeff, yeah, so I'm... Welcome um, to the show. Oh, and thanks so much for having us. It's a delight to be here. Uh, we love doing family-oriented stuff, I can tell you. In our genre, that's not always the case, as you can imagine. Uh, and being, being fathers and being husbands is important to both Brian and I, which uh, sort of comes to how we met and why we hit it off. But uh, briefly, first, you know, I'm, uh, my mom says I can't keep a job. I have, it's hard to say what I am or what I do. Um, I'm a 
vascular surgeon actually by education and training, although I did that not for very uh, long uh, as a full-time job. But I came up through uh, various jobs. I worked as a firefighter paramedic for a while. I was a pilot uh, for a while. Uh, I first joined the Navy to go into aviation. And while I was in training, got in a motorcycle accident and left and then flew a civilian for a while. Um, finished my degree at the College of William and Mary uh, during all of this. And then uh, I joined the uh, another government, another branch of the government. I served uh, for a short period of time. And then after that, just sort of looking for a life of peace and less violence, I uh, went to medical school. Um, and while I was in residency, I was finishing up my general surgery residency. It had already been accepted to a vascular surgery fellowship. And uh, some people crashed those planes into the towers and uh, it really upset me. So I uh, immediately called a detailer. I was still in the Naval Reserves at the time, and I called a detailer and said, I want to go on active duty. And he said, well, we can mobilize you. And I said, no, no, I don't think you understand. I want to transition to active duty, which I did. And so uh, for the next decade or so, I did various jobs, most of them in the special warfare community, did a deployment to Iraq with uh, the Marines. And then after that, wound up with an East Coast Base SEAL team. Um, so my life is a little bit weird and <laughs> complicated to See, but I like those. I call those career lits because I've had a bunch of career lits myself, you know, from, from education to business to entertainment, you know, all these different things. But I think that's what makes us really good writers because we've had all these experiences. We can write from authenticity. Now I want to ask you guys, you know, writing with a partner is, I think it's great. You know, I'm a collaborative personality. I like people. I like to get along with people. I could get along with Noriega if I had to. You know, I could really get along with anyone. But you guys, you guys are in separate parts of the country, right? You're not like down the street from each other. You didn't know each other before. That's How correct. does that happen? Yeah, so... um First of all, I will say that writing together isn't for everybody. I think you have to have the right, not just the right personality type, but I think you have to have the right partnership. I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, whether it's luck or, or faith or God, something brought us together uh, in a way that was unique um, and worked. I am actually not like you. I'm not that social of a person <laughs> and I can't just get along with anybody. And in fact, I'll tell you that when Brian, it was Brian who first suggested with his background in submarines, my background in special warfare, I said, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we worked together and we wrote a books on subs and seals and yeah. wouldn't that be cool? And I was like, no, that wouldn't, that wouldn't <laughs> be cool at all. Not, and we were already friends. So we had become friends. This is like a year later. Our, you know, we both were very family oriented people. We both had daughters the same age who now still text each other, even though we're a thousand miles apart. But um, it was his idea to do some writing together. And I just, it wasn't that I didn't like Brian. It was that I couldn't imagine how that would work. I'd been a writer my whole life. I started writing short stories when I was 14. And so I had my system and I couldn't for the life of me think how that could possibly work. But he was relentless as most Cornell MBAs are, I suppose. And um, he said, well, you know, so we brainstormed it and we were friends. And I was like, well, I can help though. Like if you have this story and you know, the gap is the SEAL community, let me help you. And we brainstormed it together. But it turns out uh, it was all a ruse. He was trapping me um, because what <laughs> yeah, we did, because we you're both melting lilies. Yes. On your <laughs> right. So we developed, we brainstormed this amazing story and I, we both fell in love with it. He asked another time. I said, no, another time. And the third time he said, all right, here's the deal. Let's write five chapters 
And if it works, we'll fit, we'll do it. And if it doesn't, you can have the story. And I was like, I just got a free story. Right. So, uh, I, but we started writing and the first book took like three and a half, four months to do the whole rough draft and never talked about it again. We just moved forward now, whatever, 10 or 12 books later. Uh, so it was something we sort of fell into. Uh, I'll let Brian talk more about the process, but in terms of making the decision to do it, it was not an easy decision for me because I just didn't think I could see a way it worked, but oh my gosh, how it works. Like it's so efficient. It's so, you know, rewarding and it's so much more enjoyable, but you got to have the right person that you're working with for sure. So let's go ahead, because I, I, I'm really fascinated by this. And you guys have lots of books. you got Tier One, War Torn, American Operator, Red Spectre, War Shadows, Crusader of One. I know you've got some more, but those are the ones that I have in my arsenal over here right now. And you guys have a proven track record of success, which is why you're on my radio show today. Because we are not only talking about your authorship and how successful you've been, but how do you work together and collaborate on a project of this magnitude? I mean, how many books have you guys written together in total? Well, we've written, um, I think, like Jeff said, we've written 11 or 12 now. We're working on book 12. 11, 10 and 11 are done. Um, they're just being, they're in various stages of production. So one nice thing about being a co-author is that there's always somebody working on something. Mm -hmm. And the process now, you know, I wouldn't say we're a hundred percent well-oiled machine, but we do have a pretty good system in place now. And we always have some project in various stages of production. So, you know, we might like right now we are actively writing the rough draft. We're in part one of the number six tier one book. Okay. And we just finished another book called Sons of War, which is the first book in a new series so you don't have this one because it hasn't been published yet, but it's coming out in the uh, first quarter of 2021. So nice. that's a whole new series. And we're taking some characters that were supporting characters in the tier one series and we're spinning them off and they get their own series. So it's going to be pretty fun because we're going to have character crossover between the tier one series, which is our big series. And then this new series. So any of the fans that love tier one, we'll be able to jump right into the Sons of War series. So we're excited about that. But I think maybe to get back to your other question, which is the collaboration, you know. Well, like, and before we, let me just jump in here. Sure, really quick, sure. Because when we fall in love with characters, which we do in your books, you know, it's so great that the tertiary <laughs> characters go on to have their own, you know, own life in their own books. And you guys have some serious creds. We've got, you know, Wall Street Journal, bestseller. I mean, what are some other your creds, you know, before we get into your collaboration efforts? Because, you know, you don't just walk down the street and pick up a Wall Street Journal bestselling <laughs> recommendation. I mean, that just doesn't drop from the sky. Well, I mean, what, Jeff, what are we creeping up on a million, almost a million copies sold now, I think. Yeah, we're, we're creeping up on that fun number. We've, we've won a couple of awards. I, I, I particularly enjoy that we uh, got a, a gold medal award from the Military Writers Society. That was cool. Uh, we've been number one Amazon bestsellers for most of the books. But, you know, to me, and that's fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, <laughs> that's cool. But what's really cool is the stuff that we get from uh, readers, um, the feedback, especially from military veterans. And uh, we, as, as you may have heard, Sandra, we actually have 
a surprisingly large number of female followers uh, sure. to the series. It's actually over 40% of our readers is, are women and they love the characters. And I think that's why, because women readers are a little more demanding in my opinion. They want rich characters. They yes. want arc. They don't want just doors getting kicked in and bad guys getting killed. They want to see relationships. And I think that's something that we do. We find a way to blend it into an action packed genre um, and it's, and it's really satisfying. So I would say the awards are nice and the bestseller status obviously is nice when you get your royalty check. But what's really nice is when you get emails from fans saying, wow, we really love this, this new book that just came out November 5th, we've gotten so much feedback on the emotional impact of it. And I would tell you that means way more to me than, you know, the little things you hang on your wall or, or whatever. Those are the, those are the street cred things that we love the most. Well, and I'm going to credit your girls right now. I'm just going to give them show credit and your wives because when guys can write really good relationship material, you know, and develop those characters like that, I really think it's because they're super in tune with the women in their life. I mean, let's be honest, we are very different. You know, we approach things differently. We look for different things. And when you got two guys that can write with such heart and write relationships, it's because you have good ones, good ones with your wives and good ones with your daughters. So we're just going to give them a little show credit today. Well, definitely, definitely. There's two wives out there, Karen and Wendy. Uh, my wife, Wendy, and, and uh, Karen, Brian's wife, are amazing, not just for the way that they model relationships in our writing, but for the support they've given us. I mean, if you think about the way we came to this career, you know, Brian is an entrepreneur with a successful business. I'm getting out of the military, and I could certainly go be a very successful vascular surgeon. These are great jobs, right? That, that do quite well for people financially. And to have women that say, chase your dream, follow your passion. I love you. And I want to support what you have as a, as a vision and a dream for our family that you can't put a price on that. Like that is the key to our success way more than either Brian or I, that's for sure. Well, they put up with you two knuckleheads. So. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I dressed it up, but that's what I'm saying. Yes. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. All right. So Brian, talk to me about how does this work? You know, you, you have an idea, you, you know, put a synopsis or a treatment. I forget what you guys call it together. And then, then what? Yeah. Every book starts with sort of a germ of, of an idea. And, uh, you know, as. But don't make it sound more mature than it is, Brian. Tell the truth. <laughs> Yeah, Jeff, Jeff likes to say we're just two six-year-olds playing army in the backyard, you know, Fair and there's definitely some truth to that. Um, but when we start each story, you know, there's, there's a lot going on in the world right now, right? And there's a lot of interesting things happening in geopolitics. And I think, at, at least for me, and, and um, I don't know how it is for other writers out there, but I think for me and for Jeff, um, you have to have interest in what you're writing about or the story is never going to go anywhere so we always start with something and it's usually in the form of a what if question you know what if this happened what would happen next and if that sort of gets your your uh, creativity flowing at that point that's when the story really takes off so you know each of these tier one books you could sort of break down to a what if question the original book in the series tier one jeff and i are just sitting around and said you know what well, what would happen if the tier one unit got wiped out completely. What if the terrorists sort of turned the tables and mm -hmm. took our premier counterterrorism weapon and used it against us or found a way to, you know, negate that asset 
from our arsenal, what would happen? And, and I remember just like, well, I don't know. Let's, let's think about what would happen. What, where would we go from there? And that was the story of tier one. And so when you ask that question, you start, the two of us start talking about it. Um, that's what gives this story life. And, and that is, I think, the true power and fun of the collaboration, the co-authoring mm-hmm. system that we have is that, you know, when you're by yourself, writing can be a very lonely activity. And if you get stuck, you know, your writers, that writer's block thing that people talk about, that's real. You know, if you get stuck and you're not sure where to go, you can, it can take days sometimes between what you're working on to what you get through that log jam and, and you mm-hmm. start moving the story forward. But with the two of us, if, if I get stuck, I just pick up the, the phone and I call Jeff. Sure. Sure. So what, so, okay. So let's talk nuts and bolts because you know, it's great. You guys are talking, you're having a good time. Who puts pen to paper first or do, do you round robin it? Like, what does that look like? It's yeah, Ours is weird. And I will tell you, we've sat on co-authoring panels at, at Thriller Fest and VoucherCon and other places. And everybody that does this, and you've done collaborative writing, so you know, everyone that does it, does it completely differently. And what we do might never work for anyone. But I will tell you, we've gotten some strange looks for the way we do it, but it does work. But basically, we, we do the two kids plotting out the story. We get a broad arc of what it's going to look like. And then we divide it into three acts, like m- many writers do. And we'll put a little bit of detail on act one. So we will sort of, I won't, I won't say we outline, I'll use the word, but it's a very judicious use of the word. When we outline, it'll say like chapter one, whose POV it is, who's writing it. And there'll be like one sentence to remind us what it is. Sure. But once we have that very skeletal outline, we write simultaneously, which is what's a little different from our method. So in part one, for example, I might be writing chapters one, two, five, nine. He's writing the other chapters. We tend to split it up a little bit by POV. So maybe in the first part of the book, I'm writing John Dempsey and he's writing Elizabeth Grimes and I'm writing one bad guy. He's writing another one. And so we split it up. But as we write, we talk every day, usually several times a day during the rough draft. And every time we've written three or four chapters, we swap them Mm -hmm. and I will rewrite his, he will rewrite mine, and then they go into a master file. And so it's a very, it's a very uh, time effective way to do it because we're moving so much material so quickly and even stopping to do a rewrite takes only a day or two uh, for one another. Um, And then when we get to the next part, we tend to swap POVs. So if I've been writing Dempsey, he'll write Dempsey. And so by doing this and by rewriting each other constantly, we sort of get that one seamless voice into a collaborative work, which I think is one of the most challenging things is to have the book not look like it was written by two people, right? Because it's, it's a little disjointed. Um, And so that's really our rough draft process. It's not difficult but it's weird and a lot of people that we and i don't think about, it's weird i think it makes perfect logical sense you're writing it like a business book truly yeah well have, we you know, like, run it like a business so yeah i mean it is a business i mean and it's it's you know creativity within the confines of structure and there's a ton just like in business communication is everything right and so anytime we're going off script at all there's a phone call or a 15 minute brainstorm or whatever you know brian will call me and say you know, I just had this great idea. What if Elizabeth was struggling with this? You know, what would that, how would that affect her relationship with John? And if he didn't do that, then our chapters wouldn't made up quite as well. And so we communicate. It's not an exaggeration to say 
in the real heat of really moving material, we might talk eight, 10 times in a day sometimes when we're doing a very difficult transition, like those transitions from one part to a next part or into a climax. Um, so there's tons and tons and tons of communication and there's tons of reading each other's work uh, at least every few days and blending it together so it's seamless. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Like Brian was saying, I've, I've been writing my whole life and I was, as I said, I was the reluctant one, right? I can't even imagine doing it another way now. Like I have written some other standalone stuff since then. It's not as fun. It's like, it's lonely. Like Brian was saying, as you well know, uh, Sandra, it can be really lonely, but having someone to do it, it's almost feels not like a job. It's mm -hmm. really fun. So, okay. Now I'm going to ask the, the, the rock, paper, scissors question. What do you do in conflict? You want A, you want B, we flip a coin, we rock, paper, scissors, you know, are you guys sunny, warm, and wonderful I'm gonna let, all the I'm gonna time? Let Brian, I'm going to let Brian weigh in, but I will start by saying this sounds like something you just say in an interview, and I admit that, but it's the truth, I swear to you. We have never had a major conflict, right. and I think the reason is that, A, we know that we both bring different strengths and weaknesses to the table. There's no ego involved in our process at all. We do run it like a business. If Brian says, hey, we'll sell five more books by doing it this way, then do it that way. There's no pride of ownership. There's no ego. But anytime that we've had you know, a disagreement about should we go this direction or not, we tend to err towards, well, Brian's a little better in that area. I'll trust him. I think we should go this way, but I'll trust him. And so far, we've never gone back and changed it. Um, Brian, is that? am I exaggerating or... No, no, that's accurate. And I think, you know, one of the things that we decided from the very beginning, and I remember Jeff saying this is, you know, let's, like he said, remove the ego from the equation. So he's like, let's just check our ego in a box, you know, and we put that away. And when you approach the problem or the, the process of writing a book as a business and you say, what is our end goal? Our end goal is that the finished story is the most entertaining compelling, emotional, gripping story that we can write together. That's the goal. So how we get there and what we change and what we cut and what we do in the kitchen, right? What we're, yeah. The kitchen can be as messy as it needs to be, right? All that matters is what we serve up at the end is delicious. Right. And so that it sounds... Maybe it sounds a little trite, but it's so true because for us, it's liberating to yeah. say it doesn't matter what we do, what we change. All we care about is that that finished book is perfect. And that's the thing we're proud of is we know that the book at the end, the story at the end, that's the thing that we take ownership of and we take ownership of it together. We don't say, well, I wrote chapter 32 and is that your favorite chapter? You know, we don't do that, you know? And in fact, we, we really couldn't do that because like Jeff said, in our editing process, we're switching back and forth and there's red ink, you know, all over the whole book because we're editing each other's work all the way through. So it really is at the end of the day, an Anders and Wilson product. And that's what you're reading. Well, and that's when we, you know, we talk about, you know, partnership and leadership and, and, you know, taking a project to fruition, everybody does have to put their egos aside, you know, you have to look at, you know, why are you here? Are you here to feel smart? Are you here to feel better than 
Jeff or better than Brian, you know, because you get in these collaborative partnerships, especially if you're assigned, you know, you guys got to choose each other, but sometimes you're assigned someone and you've got like, you know, narcissist Pete over there who thinks everything that drops from his fingertips is just pure gold. And, you know, I mean, those are, you know, those are the realities of, of, I call them gun for hire work. You know, I get hired as a gun for hire. I'm told to do this. I'm told to fill a role. But I also think, don't you think that your military background and your training in, hey, it's not about you. It's not about me. We just got to get the job done. And you get the job done. You know, I find that that's a really big transferable skill from a military background. Now, I did not serve, but I was raised in a military family and very much the ideal of I don't care. Get it done. Figure it out. Get it done. Not about you. There's absolutely no doubt that the military background (laughs) matters for sure. Um, I think that, you know, and there's other military writers that will say the same thing, I think, but coming from a military background, it's not about you or your career. It's about mission before self. It's about team before individuals. And so we do both come from that background and bringing that to the table. There's no question that that has helped us in this process and it, and it helps us with the ego check and all that stuff. You know, my favorite analogy that Brian uses uh, that I thought he was going to use today, but didn't. So I'm going to use it because I love it is it's almost more like parenting than anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, I have four kids, four, four kids. Um, (laughs) It's a lot of kids. But Wendy and I don't say like, okay, well, these are your two and these are my two. And, like, you know, (laughs) it's like these are our kids. And when Jack has a problem, we work together to solve the problem and are only concern is that Jack be the best Jack he can be. And I think that's the perfect analogy for the way we write together. The final product is our, is our little baby and we're just the proud parents. And I don't care what I did versus what Brian did. I just want to be able to say that's the best damn book possible. Um, And so that's my favorite analogy, but the military thing, you're definitely right. I think military people just innately know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were sort of, we were trained and we were conditioned in that, in that environment. And, you know, it would be so presumptuous and ludicrous to say that, you know, I drove the submarine around by myself. No, there's a hundred people on there working together to drive that submarine. And same with Jeff. It'd be ludicrous to say, well, I completed that mission all by myself. No, there's a whole special operations unit with people in the back end, people in the field, intelligence, communication, all these pieces have to work together. And, you know, maybe that's why we have been so successful in our stories too, is because we appreciate all those different elements and we appreciate all those components um, that make a mission successful. And that's why, you know, when you read our stories, it's not, yes, John Dempsey is the central character, but we have a big cast. I mean, there's, there's 20, characters in each of these books and it's because they're all playing a role and they all you get you get an insight into what you know special operations and covert operations really looks like but not just in the field you're seeing at the at the highest levels of government the policy making level and you see it at the strategic level sort of the middle management level where you have to develop the strategy and then implement and then we have the operators out in the field so you're getting to look at this problem that we call special operations from, you know, 
three different levels, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the way up from the President of the United States down to the guy who's pulling the trigger in the field and, and see what that feels like. Now, I want to ask you guys a question because, you know, I kind of have my little theories, you know, after, you know, doing, you know, thousands of hours of radio over, over almost, you know, I'm, I am in my second decade doing this. Where are you guys in the fi- family dynamic of your childhood home? Now, I am the middle child. I have olders and youngers of both sex. So I find that those skill sets growing up of wanting to be heard, because I was always lost in the middle. I'm not the baby, but I'm not the older. So I, I more had to scrabble for everything that I got. And if I wanted to hang out with my brothers, I had to learn to play hockey and I had to be the goalie. <laughs> you know, so these things that you turn, you know, you think about, you know, I go back to the BB in my leg and my brother said dance. I didn't dance. So he shot me in the leg and I still have a BB in my leg because we didn't go, mom, he shot me. We right. put a bandaid on it and kept playing. So I still have the BB in my leg, but those things, as funny as they are, they are very typical of why I do what I do and how I can relate to people and the success in my company because it is collaborative. The middle child has to get along or, you know, they get lost. So I'm curious where you guys are in your family order. Well, I'm, um, I'm sort of in between you and, and other people because I am not the oldest. I have an older sister uh, who's um, almost two years older than me. But we are so, even from childhood, we were so different and our interests were so different that there was never that competition. She was into completely different things than I was. And so um, while she was older than me, there was never the older, younger type of dynamic. Then I have a younger sister who's only 13 months younger than me. We were very close. Um, But there was certainly the dynamic of having to blend stuff together like yeah. you're talking about right you have to you have to work in the middle and we grew up overseas so um we moved to berlin germany at the height of the cold war when i was very young in elementary school and moved back as i was finishing middle school and during that time we didn't live on base so we lived out in the community so our dynamic was different in that we only had each other like sure. we better be able to problem solve because there's no like oh i'm not going to play with you i'll go next door and play with my best friend. There was no best friend next door. Getting together with friends from school was a ginormous undertaking. And so we had a very close knit family Mm -hmm. because we had to, uh, because of the nature of the way we were growing up. So yes, middle child, but maybe a little less traditional of a middle child than some. But definitely what I'm learning, what I'm learning about you is, you know, resiliency, you know, self-reliance, you know, cooperation, collaboration. I mean, those skills that make you a good, you know, business partner or a good collaborative partner. Brian, what about you? I was raised by wolves and I didn't speak English until <laughs> I was 12 or 13 years old. And it took a long time to get off of all fours. And- okay, Remus, or, you know, or Romulus, aren't those the two that were, you know, really, seriously, what? Um, I, was, uh, your- I was the oldest of three children. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I was the oldest. I had two younger sisters and um, I have all daughters. Um, uh, I have three, three children, all daughters. So maybe I'm just a good uh, communicator and collaborator because I'm surrounded by women all the time. 
or so, a good leader because didn't you choose did, weren't you the one that came and chose jeff and said let's do a partnership that's right i stalked jeff until he yeah. relented that's i don't think you're a leader because you beg for my attention that's <laughs> that's not leadership you know well but it's interesting too that you both have two sisters yeah yeah. You know, because I do think that there's clues, you know, there, it's not the end all be all. But when I look at, you know, the careers you guys have chosen or the career lists that you've chosen, and then, you know, kind of you're both married, you both have families, you both have children, you've had sisters, you know, you have these things, you know, I think that those things make for really rich characters. For sure. And I, you know, I do think that birth order makes a difference. And a lot of firstborns are very type A, very driven. And, um, you know, I, th I don't think you could reach, um, you know, go to the type of schools and do the type of things that Jeff and I have both done without being driven. Mm -hmm. um, we're both motivated people. But I think as I've gotten older, I've tried to um, put everything in perspective, you know, and I think I'm a different person than I was 20 years ago. Oh, sure. Um, I'm, I'm less egocentric and I'm more focused on, um, Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe when I was 20, I wouldn't have wanted to co-author. Maybe I would have just been all in it for the glory for myself. But at my age now, like, it's so much more rewarding to do it uh, as a team for me, uh, the interaction. Let's talk about, you know, let's talk about that for a minute, because there's a big thing that I've noticed. Um, you know, I work a lot in Hollywood. I work a lot in um, the entertainment industry. I spend time between New York and here. And... I find that myself included, that once you've proven yourself in this world, you know, I've got a proven track record of success. You guys have a proven track record of your success. Not that you go back and look and go how great I am, but you know, you've accomplished something in your day. And I feel very, um, it's very unlikely for me to have to prove anything to anybody anymore. And yeah. so once you do that, you can kind of just kick back and not that you're going to relax your efforts, but you approach it with a different kind of a different mindset. So I want to go to Jeff about that because you're nodding along. Well, I mean, because I think that's exactly right. I mean, what the, there's a business idiom that says, you know, the greatest predictor of, future success is past success, right? And, and I think that's right. And it's right for organizations uh, and it's right for leaders to identify and followers, but it's also right for you and yourself. I mean, you do get a confidence, right? Once you've accomplished something, you say, gosh, can I do it? Well, if you've done it, you've done it a few times and you've done it well, you do approach the next problem differently um, because you have that confidence and you have a little more self-awareness and there's a little less uncertainty. And I think that's not unique to anything. I think that's true in everything in life. It's true of being a husband. It's true of being a writer. It's true of being a surgeon. It's true of being an operator. Everything you do in life, your experiences will help you. And so I do think that, um, you know, having a life of rich success in everything you do, you decide, oh, now I want to be a novelist. I don't think you go into it with that terror of, oh, can I? Like, well, yeah, I can. Will I? I don't know. We'll see. There's some luck involved and some situations involved and maybe my writing isn't as good as I think it is. But I don't think you, you approach it the same way as you do when you're 22 years old and you've never really accomplished anything and you don't know what you're capable of. So I think that that's true for individuals and organizations. Definitely true for me. 
Well, and don't you think that there's key predictors? You know, I go back to, you know, I went to Northwestern and we had this, you know, football conference. And one of the guys that I was the waitress for was a guy named Don Shula. And I waited on him for a whole week and I thought it was pretty cool because, you know, I come from the Buffalo Bills and, you know, kind of a football town. And um, at the end of the, I don't know, whatever it was that they were there for, he took me aside and he said, kid, you're going to be successful someday. And I said, you know, why would, why would you say that? And he said, I watched you. He goes, everybody else is standing around talking. He goes, you're sorting forks, you're lining stuff up. Like you're, you're there, you're sweeping, even though everybody's standing around talking. And he says those, he goes, that's going to take you far. And I, I've never forgotten that. And whenever I have a kind of a wavering of faith, I think about, you know what, well, my mindset, my expectation is to succeed. And I want to talk yeah. to Brian about this because I don't go into anything with, you know, of course I have normal fears like everybody else. You know, you have the, you know, crisis of faith. Wow. Can I do it? Can I not do it? But that doesn't last very long. I actually expect to succeed. It might take longer, it might take five, 10, 20 years, but my mindset is always that, you know what, I'm going to expect to succeed. I'm going to keep going till I succeed. Brian, talk to me a little bit about that from your experience. That's a great question. Something I've thought about a lot, uh, just through my whole life. And I think in middle age, I, I rethinking this, uh, too, but I've always approached every situation with this, maybe this naive, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> philosophical position, but the position is, if I work hard enough and I outlast and outperform everybody else, you know, I'll end up at the top. So I might not be the fastest or I might not be the smartest, but if I'm the most persistent, That's um, then I will eventually succeed. And I was never really afraid of failure because um, I guess, again, it goes back to that maybe a little bit naive, but I always just thought, well, if I, if I fail on this, I just try again or I try something else. Like, there's so much interesting, there's so many interesting things in the world. And I sometimes thank God that I was born with what I would just call an innate curiosity. So there's, I'm interested in a lot of different things. And so if I failed at one of them, then there's a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of other things I can go pursue and, and dive into. So I always approached it that way. And I, each new thing, you know, after I would accomplish the thing that I was working on, I'd be excited to try something else. And, and, and I never really let that fear of failure, um, it, it never really entered my mind. Cause, and, and, and maybe part of that too is just, we sort of touched on this before, but if you have self-confidence, if you're not, if you can get the insecurity out of your mind and you say, well, I don't really care what other people think. Like if they're gonna judge me based on this failure, um, you're going to be paralyzed. You'll never accomplish anything in your life because everybody's judging all the time. But the fact of the matter is the only person that really matters in this pursuit of excellence equation is yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, and I want to talk about failure because, you know, we hear those things like, oh, failure is not an option, you know, failure, failure, failure. But, you know, and this is where my tech background comes in. You know, when you're in technology and you're creating things that have never existed before, like in human history, yeah, there's 
you know, the question is, what is failure? You know, and some of my quote unquote failed software has gone on to sell in other industries. So, you know, was it really a failure? So I'm, I get, you know, if it's a black and white, you know, do you either capture you the guy or you don't, you kill the guy or you don't, that's a finite, but everything else, I think it's an interesting concept to, to talk about failure. Because when I talk to my boys about failure, I'm like, you got a different outcome. You know, you got an outcome that you didn't expect or an outcome that, you know, you can't control. But, you know, when you look at writing, is your first draft a failure? Because you didn't write a bestseller on your first draft. And we all accept that a first draft just needs revision. You know, writing is more about rewriting these days than writing. So let's talk about failure. And I want to talk to Jeff because I've taught my kids you know, failure is just achieving an objective you didn't want. So you got to course correct and keep going. Well, I think that's exactly right. I think it's, it's true in writing. It's true in everything I've ever done. You have to begin the process by deciding for yourself what your definition of failure is. And you were sort of alluding to that. Like you define failure. No one else gets to define your success or your failure for you. And so if you set out to do something and it turns out, I like the way you said it, it did, you didn't fail. It turned out differently than you expected. Right, different outcome. But, but whatever the outcome is, has moved you in a direction, whatever that direction is. And whatever the process of getting there is, was an educational uh, experience for you if you let it be. But that mindset of uh, success versus failure defines that for you. And you have to, you have to breed that into yourself so that you can breed it into your children. Because if you look at every, every step as a journey somewhere and you define failure only as you gave up, then there's no such thing as failure anymore as long as you don't give up. And so you learn from something and then you go to the next level. And I would argue that it's just as true. You said maybe it's a little more black and white in the uh, counterterrorism world. I would argue that even that's not the case. Yeah. You set out to get a high value target, you had a capture kill mission. The guy wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that mission a failure? Well, it's not a failure. You didn't achieve that objective, but you achieved something. You got to that target. You ruled that target out as the place the HVT is. That's one thing. There's other intelligence that you gathered. You established relationships with partner nation people that you are working with to get that information. And now you've vetted out who is and isn't trustworthy. And all of that builds a machine of intelligence gathering and mission mission execution. And so by doing the same thing in that setting as what we're talking about for us as individuals and for our children, then again, there is really only failure when you decide it's failure. Failure is you deciding that it wasn't what you wanted and moving on in a different direction. And if you decide not to do that, then you never fail. Right. And I like to advance in a different direction. You know, I don't give up. I don't quit. I don't fail. I just advance in a different direction, you know. Right. And that's exciting, right? It is exciting because, you know, it's like you can't lose. And, you know, when you get up every day and I'll tell you as a single soul supporting mom for over a decade in Los Angeles, which isn't cheap. And I also care for my 86 year old dad in my house, three rescued dogs. I got a lot of mouths to feed. And if I got up every morning thinking, oh, crap, you know, how am I going to do this? I'm like, you know what, God, I'm up. I'm ready. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to go. And you just hit the ground running. And if you don't waste a lot of time 
on what you can't control, on what you don't know, what you can't do, and focus on what you can, it's amazing what you can achieve. Brian, go ahead and pick up the ball. Yeah, I think that if you look at it that way, every day um, is a new set of possibilities, right? And just to sort of circle it back to, to writing, that might be one of the reasons that writing is so appealing to, to us. Because each story is a new opportunity to inspire people. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, that's why we do this. We want to tell a good story. And, and when you tell a good story, that means different things to different people. But to us, it sort of has two major goals. One is, you know, if you can come home and, and from a hard day at work and dive into one of our books and that takes you away from the drudgery or the monotony or whatever bad things happened to you that day and you get to enjoy, you get to be transported to this other universe that you have no, you know, association with or you've never, you've never worked in that universe, that's exciting, right? And that, that's something that gives gives people entertainment. Mm -hmm. but on the other hand, we're also doing something else, which is that we're trying to provide or, or write characters that, that embody certain principles. Mm -hmm. You know, John Dempsey, we get a lot of fan mail, people talking about, you know, one of the greatest comments we ever had is, you know, John from a reviewer, he said, John Dempsey is the type of hero America needs most at a time when America needs him the most. And, you know, we, that, that really resonated with us because we're trying to write a character that inspires people. He's a principled actor. He does things to support, you know, his brothers and his nation. And he's a model, he's a model character. Mm -hmm. And if you can get inspired by him to not give up and pursue greatness in your own life, then we've accomplished our job. Well, and why wouldn't you? Because, you know, we all know, and then I got to wrap it up because I could talk to you guys forever. Um, you know, we think about, you know, Tiger Woods and McEnroe and all those guys that really pioneered this, you know, positive visualization. We're going to visualize winning the tennis match. We're going to visualize, you know, making that putt. All those things get into their, you know, neurobiology, neurobiology and create a different outcome. So why wouldn't a book be the same thing. You transport a character. And if I want to be John Dempsey in my mind, I can, and I can experience things through his eyes and experience this thing that becomes intimately part of me. That experience, it's no different than practicing a putt. We read your books, you know, drilled in over and over the concept of a hero. What does that look like, taste like, feel like? What kind of decisions do they make? How do they think? That's the one thing I like about the intimacy of books like yours. We get to get into how they think. And when we take part in that reading process and we think along with your character, guess what? You just changed the way I think. And I think that's super powerful. I got to wrap it up, guys. I'd love to have you back on. If you want to find out more about these guys, we've got Brian Andrews and Jeffrey Wilson. Their website is andrews-wilson.com. Check them out on Amazon. Get copies of their books. You'll be glad you did. Gentlemen, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. All right. We'll be back again next week.
Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.